Hey, Crime Sound listeners, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Ashley, and with me always is my partner in crime, Ricky. Hey, guys. Hey, so the last few weeks have been just a little bit hectic for us. <laughs> As you can hear. <laughs> oh, cow, right on cue. <laughs> um, so join us at the end of the episode to hear just a little bit about what's going on in our personal lives. After reading or listening to enough true crime, you might find the cases become somewhat formulaic. A person goes missing, a search party is sent out, a body is found, an arrest is made. Our case this week, though, is anything but that. This case was suggested to us by our listener Beverly, a Charleston, South Carolina local who shared there are rumors in the low country that suggest a hitman's involvement, a connection to a cold case from years earlier, and the possibility that the crimes were staged. This case is definitely still unfolding, and we anticipate a lot more details will be released in the coming weeks. We focused here on information that has been confirmed by investigators, the Murdoch family themselves, or other official sources, but much has been speculated about what really went down in this case that has led six separate investigations into Alex Murdoch and his family. In Charleston, South Carolina, the notoriety of the Murdoch family goes back generations. In the early 1920s, Randolph Murdoch was elected as the district attorney, a role that from then on would be held by a member of the Murdoch family for the next 87 years. Randolph Murdoch Sr. was district attorney for 20 years before the role was inherited by his son, Randolph Murdoch Jr., who served as a solicitor for over 40 years until 1986. After that, Randolph Murdoch III assumed the role until 2005, when the governor made a change that ended the Murdoch legacy in the 14th Circuit Solicitor's Office. Attorney Duffy Stone was appointed and served until 2016. Randolph Murdoch III had three sons and one daughter. The youngest son is Richard Alexander Murdoch, but everyone knows him as Alex. Alex was married to Margaret, Maggie Bransetter a South Carolina native who met while they were both attending the University of South Carolina in the late 1980s. Maggie and Alex had two sons, Richard Alexander, who went by the name Buster, and Paul. They raised the boys primarily in Hampton, but spent summers in Modesto or Islington, where their family owned properties. The low country in South Carolina is made up of counties along the southern tip of the state, and the Murdochs had lived in the low country for decades. Many families have a long history there, with some tracing their ancestry back over a hundred years. For many, their wealth was amassed through slave labor on massive agricultural plantations where indigo, rice, and cotton were harvested. Today, many who are able to afford to live there come from these wealthy families or earn their money in high-paying careers like law, medicine, or entertainment, like Bill Murray, who has a home on Sullivan Island. Though the Murdoch reign as a solicitor has ended, everyone in the Lowcountry knew about the Murdoch family. 
The law firm, originally started by Randolph Murdoch Sr., had grown into a multi-million dollar practice over years, and members of the family held leadership positions in each of three offices located in different counties. Though many people in Charleston had good things to say about the Murdochs, there also seemed to be a consensus that they were people to fear. As a family with extreme wealth, legal know-how, and political connections, they also held a lot of power and influence over the area and were known to use this against those who crossed them. Most notably, it's believed that the Murdoch family used their influence when the youngest member of their family, Paul, was involved in a fatal boating accident. In February of 2019, 17-year-old Paul, Alex's youngest son, took his friends to a party in his father's boat. In total, Paul had six of his friends with him, all of which were underage. Despite not being 21, Paul used his older brother's old ID to buy alcohol from a gas station and a bar while out with his friends. They stayed out till about 2.30 in the morning, by which time Paul was really drunk. As they headed home, Anthony Cook was sitting near the front of the boat with his girlfriend, a 19-year-old Mallory Beach. Anthony's cousin, Connor Cook, was also with them, along with two other unnamed friends. It's not entirely clear how it happened, but Alex Murdoch's boat, a 17-foot Sea Hunt Triton, crashed into a piling near the bridge over Archer's Creek. In the impact, Mallory Beach was thrown overboard, hit her head on something, and fell into the current. The boat hit the bridge with such speed and force that it split along the seam, leaving a six-foot gash through the interior. When they realized that Mallory had been tossed overboard, Connor called the police for help. Four of the passengers were taken to the hospital, but Anthony Cook refused treatment. All passengers were intoxicated, but sobriety tests weren't initially administered since they didn't know who was driving the boat. After the crash and with Mallory missing, Anthony was angry and began yelling at Paul, blaming him as the driver of the boat and for his girlfriend going overboard. At the hospital, Paul was only wearing boxers. It was the most intoxicated and uncooperative of the kids, according to a nurse. Though it sounded like Paul was the driver and was obviously drunk, it was Connor Cook Anthony's cousin, who was given a sobriety test. Connor Cook filed a lawsuit, saying that the officers were involved in a conspiracy to cloud the investigation and disseminate false information, since it was suggested that Connor was the one responsible for the crash. Ultimately, in the official reports, authorities say that they didn't know who was driving. A week later, Mallory's body was found a few miles away from the crash site at the Broad River boat landing. The autopsy revealed that she died of blunt force trauma and subsequent drowning. Given the severity of the crash and that Mallory was now pronounced dead, Paul was indicted in April of 2019 on charges of boating under the influence causing great bodily harm and causing death. He pleaded not guilty. Paul was released on bail but he wouldn't make it to trial. In the years after Mallory's death, Paul went to college at the University of South Carolina. Though given that he was still facing charges in Mallory's death, he was often at home, out on bail, awaiting his trial. 
Suddenly, on June 7, 2021, Alex Murdoch discovered his son, Paul, now 22, with his wife Maggie, 52, had been killed. Paul and Maggie's bodies were found outside of their 1,770-acre estate in Islandton. Paul had been shot twice with a shotgun, once in his chest and once in the head. Maggie had been shot with a semi-automatic rifle. This was a complete shock to the small community of about 70 people, an hour or so west of Charleston where the Murdochs operated a hunting lodge. Alex called 911 at 10.07 p.m. that night, but investigators didn't come until the next morning to collect evidence. Some shell casings were found at the scene, but the location of the murder weapon was unknown, and there was not much evidence collected. Despite the high-profile family involved, the case immediately went cold. They issued no warrants, subpoenas, and didn't seem to be questioning anyone. Alex had an alibi for the murders, claiming that he was with his mother at the time of their death. Though his mother confirms this, police later named Alex as a person of interest, though little has been made public about the investigation into him. After the limited search, investigators made an announcement that Paul and Maggie's death were not random, that it was most likely a targeted killing, meaning that there was no threat to the public at all. Rumors began to spread in the low country that Paul and Maggie's murders were orchestrated by Mallory Beach's family as a revenge for Paul's culpability in her death. The Beach family adamantly denied this, going as far as providing their DNA to help clear their names. Outside of these rumors, there had been no evidence that they had any involvement at all. Only three days after Paul and Maggie's murder, Randolph Murdoch III died peacefully in his home. He was 81 years old, and it seems as if this was just an unfortunate coincidence. The police ruled out any possibility of foul play. By June 17th, Alex's two brothers, John and Randy, appeared on Good Morning America to raise awareness about their nephew and sister-in-law's murders. They made it clear that they did not believe that Alex was involved in any way, mentioning that he was completely distraught over what happened. John and Randy seemed to push the rumors about the connection to Mallory's death, saying that Paul had been receiving threatening messages about his involvement with the boating accident. No one in the Murdoch family took the threat seriously, but on Good Morning America, Paul's uncles appeared remorseful, wishing that they had considered the threats more. Because of Paul's death, the charges that he was facing for Mallory's death and the boat crash were dropped entirely. The Murdoch family announced on June 25th that they were offering a $100,000 reward for any information that could help investigators arrest and convict Paul and Maggie's killer. A little over two weeks after Paul and Maggie's murder, the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, or SLED, suddenly reopened an investigation into an unsolved death of a 19-year-old boy named Stephen Smith. Stephen's body had been found lying on the side of the road in the early hours of July 8, 2015, six years before Paul and Maggie's death, and four years before Mallory's. 
in the initial investigation, Stephen's death was labeled a hit and run. The police suggested that a large truck had accidentally sideswiped him with its mirror while driving down the road in Hampton County. Stephen frequently had car trouble. His body was found three miles from his car where the gas tank door was opened with the gas cap hanging down. Police alleged that Stephen's car had run out of gas or some other sort of trouble, and he was walking along the road to try and get home or find help. Stephen's mother doesn't buy this story though. Even with an unreliable car, Stephen wouldn't have decided to walk down a rural road alone in the middle of the night. Though it hasn't been made clear what the connection is, SLED shared that it is because of evidence gathered from investigating Maggie and Paul's death that they decided to reopen Stephen's case. New information came out that according to some pathologists and officers, Stephen's death appeared much more like a homicide, with the wound on his head consistent with a gunshot wound. Some alleged that it looked as if the body had been staged, but another pathologist in the department disputed these claims, saying that his wounds matched those of a motor vehicle crash. It is the pathologist's verdict, not those of an official autopsy, that was entered into the final report. With a possible connection now to another murder, more attention came to the Murdoch family, and it was realized that another death had occurred on the property. On February 26, 2018, Gloria Satterfield, the family's longtime housekeeper, was airlifted out of their home and to the hospital after a trip and fall accident. In the hospital, Gloria suffered from a traumatic brain injury and wasn't able to speak. Alex Murdoch spoke for Gloria and claimed that she had tripped over one of his dogs, causing her to fall down the stairs. Gloria died three weeks later. After her death, Gloria's sons filed a wrongful death suit against Alex and the Murdoch family. Gloria's sons were introduced to Corey Fleming, Alex's college roommate, good friend, and fellow attorney to help manage their legal claims against Alex. The Murdochs and Satterfields managed to settle and Alex paid them $505,000 for Gloria's death. After winning their suit, they were introduced to banker Chad Westendorf, another friend of Alex's, to help them manage their money. But get this, in the years since winning their wrongful death lawsuit, Gloria's sons haven't got a single penny of the money they were supposed to receive from Alex. As of September 16th, SLED announced that it was beginning an investigation into Gloria's death. In their investigation so far, they have noted inconsistencies in the ruling of her manner of death. Despite Alex's claims that she died from falling down the stairs, an autopsy was not performed, and on her death certificate, the manner of death is ruled natural, which, if she died from a fall, is clearly wrong. Gloria's sons have gotten an attorney, this time one with not connections to Alex Murdoch, to fight for their money they were entitled to from their suit. As if things weren't chaotic enough for the Murdoch family, having lost three family members in June and being involved in two ongoing murder investigations, on September 3rd, 2021, just a few weeks ago, Alex Murdoch suddenly resigned from his longtime law firm of Peters, Murdoch, Eltsroth, and Detrick, or 
PMPED. The following day, on the 4th, Alex Murdoch called 911 to report that he had been shot while changing a tire on the side of a rural road in Hampton County, South Carolina. According to Alex, he had pulled over to check for a flat when someone in a blue truck pulled up and fired at him. Alex was airlifted to a nearby hospital. In the first police reports, it said that Alex showed no signs of injury, but this was later amended, saying that the responding officer had checked the wrong box. The statement was corrected again, this time changing the report from a superficial gunshot wound to a major injury. The Murdoch families issued a clarification saying that Alex had an entry and an exit wound in his head and suffered a fractured skull from the bullet. Alex spent two days in the hospital, a surprisingly short time for someone suffering from a major head wound. On September 6th, two days after being shot, Alex officially announced his resignation from his law firm and admitted that he was going to enter rehab for a long-time drug addiction to oxycodone. The very next day, though, his law firm, PMPED, contradicted Alex's announcements, saying that he was actually forced to resign. The very next day, though, his law firm, PMPED, contradicted Alex's announcements, saying that he was actually forced to resign after they found out that he had embezzled and misappropriated funds from the firm. It's rumored that up to $10 million is missing from PMPED. By September 8th, Alex's law license was suspended after PMPED contacted the South Carolina bar. Alex's brother, Randy, who still works for the firm, released a statement in support of his brother, saying that he was shocked to learn about what Alex had done and had no idea of his drug addiction. No allegations have come forward to implicate Randy, but SLED has opened an investigation into the missing money at the firm. Ten days after being shot, SLED announced that they had made an arrest in Alex's shooting. Curtis Edward Smith, 61 years old, was the gunman. Surprisingly, Curtis Smith was someone Alex knew. He had represented Curtis in 2013 for a speeding ticket, and again in 2015 for a lawsuit Curtis was filing against a forest management company. Outside of their legal relationship, Curtis was also Alex's drug dealer and had been supplying him with oxycodone. With Curtis arrested, the truth came out. Alex Murdoch had recruited Curtis Edward Smith to shoot and kill him, trying to commit suicide by hitman. Allegedly, Alex was paying his former client to end his life so that his eldest son, Buster, could cash in on a $10 million life insurance policy payment. Alex believed that if he committed suicide himself, Buster would not have received any money because Alex was abusing oxycodone, other drugs, suffering from massive depression, and stealing money from his law firm. According to Alex's attorney, this was a false belief on Alex's part. Curtis Edward Smith is now being charged with assisted suicide, assault, and battery of a high aggravated nature, pointing and presenting a firearm, insurance fraud, and conspiracy to commit insurance fraud. His bond was set at $55,000, and his next hearing will be October 25th. The following day on September 16th, Alex Murdoch turned himself into the Hampton County Detention Center, admitting to the scheme and his involvement in the shooting. 
Alex was given a $20,000 personal recognizance bond. He was returned to rehab and will face charges if he leaves the out-of-state rehab facility. Despite having suffered a gunshot wound to the head less than two weeks ago, in pictures of Alex at his hearing, there were no visible wounds on his head, no bandages, nor anything to suggest a major injury occurred. This case is clearly still ongoing and rumors are spreading fast, especially given how well known the family is in the area. Unconfirmed claims have been made about Alex having a mistress, that him and his wife were in the process of divorcing, one of the weapons in Paul and Maggie's murder belonging to the Murdoch family, and so much more. What we know now for certain is that Alex Murdoch is currently involved in six ongoing investigations by the South Carolina Law Enforcement Department. First, for insurance fraud involving the shooting with Curtis Smith. Second, for embezzling money from his law firm. Third, for possible involvement in Mallory Beach's death. Fourth, for possible involvement in the death of Stephen Smith. Fifth, for possible involvement in the death of Gloria Satterfield. And sixth, for possible involvement in the murders of his son Paul and his wife Maggie. We'd love to hear from you on what you think happened in this case. Were the Murdochs involved in Stephen Smith's death? What about Gloria Satterfield? Did Alex kill his own wife and child? Perhaps because of their knowledge of his crimes at his law firm? Or did he hire someone to do it all for him, like he did with Curtis Smith? We will be keeping an eye out for any new developments in this case and we'll let you know as they unfold. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. We will see you next week. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. All right, guys. So some of you know, we moved into a new house at the beginning of the month. And well, it's been it's been really great. Um, it's been exciting. It's been very hectic, but um, we moved more in the country. So it's kind of cool. It's kind of different. From we're, we're like farmland now. Farmland. I feel like I don't know if if we're actually country or if oh, this is definitely not country. We have like access to bars and, and no, like cool but like shops you, we, and we call it the country oh, yeah. where we are is what I'm saying. I mean, we have a dock and a lake <laughs> and like a lot of property. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The, the lake in the backyard is great, but we still need a boat. Like we don't have a boat because we have, we have a, a paddle boat. We have a paddle boat. Well, we're but borrowing a paddle boat. Borrowing. Where we are, we're on like a canal and it like branches out into the big part of the lake and we just haven't been there yet. So we really have to do that before the weather gets too cold. It's pretty cool though. Like I grew up fishing this lake. Like it's not far from like where I grew up in my hometown and everything. So yeah, it's kind of cool to be back here full circle. And we're living here forever my only complaint would be the mosquitoes are pretty bad oh my god i was working today and my foot just started itching like i couldn't stop itching it and then i had blood like on my hands it was all right. it's too the much blood, the blood is definitely from uh his his fish because every time he like goes fishing his hands are like cut and bleeding i'm like what is wrong with you yeah, but that wasn't even it it was like i scratched like eight mosquito bites <laughs> on my ankle and then i had to like run to a meeting oh god i had blood in my sock <laughs> I hope they're not white. Are they white? The white ones? Black. Oh, they're black. Ah, whatever. So podcasting has been weird. Yeah, it's been challenging as ever. Because I mean, it's definitely going to get easier and it has, but 
I mean, before it was like, oh, we're running a day late. That's fine. We'll just do the podcast for five hours today. No yeah. big deal. And like the thing is, is with our baby, he's up. He's been a little fussier, I think, because now we're hitting like the one month mark. He's, so he's like up straight more. up boss baby. He's CEO. Boss. Yeah, he is the boss. He tells me what he's to our do. Fortune 500 baby. <laughs> Um, but he's been, he's been a really good baby. It's just been really challenging to tackle, um, the podcast to and tackle him, him, <laughs> tackle him down and then tackle just moving. We're having like carpet, we're having carpet ripped out right now. Hardwood floors being put in. And to give you a better idea, we weren't able, like everything's backed up. Like we wanted to do all these renovations. Everything's like months out. So we finally got someone to do the painting, but we couldn't wait. So we moved all our furniture in and, you know, you know, tried to move in as much as we could. But now we have a painter and we're getting all our floors redone and some other renovation stuff. We have to move everything back out. Yeah. It's like we moved in. Now we have to move back out <laughs> and then we have to move back in again. So the next time we record is probably going to be like in a garage or something. Someone's, yeah, back alley. Yeah. Or basement. Somewhere. It might be a little tinny. It might be from a trash can. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, we're really looking forward to this. It's, it's just a little challenging, but once we get settled, it's going to be so awesome and perfect. I know it because I picked out the wall colors. It's kind of like a like a um, I picked out white. You picked. Well, see the accent color. It matters. Yeah. I mean, I picked out the lights and I picked out the flooring. You disapprove. I said, Ricky, what do you think? Yeah, that's fine. Actually, it's like a satin. <laughs> Sounds better. Um, Honestly, too. I can't wait to get the room treated like we never had a treated room. Like, I think everything felt temporary at our old place. Yeah. yeah, it might sound a little bit weird, too, because we, we are in a different room. So it's it might be a little bit like it's def it's horrible. Or <laughs> it's horrible. Honestly, it's yeah. like so echoey in here. So we, we apologize. But, you know, we'll eventually get there. Yeah. Honestly, I can't wait to have like a nice like setup finally I for know. once in my life. Right. We'll, we'll get there, Ricky. Don't worry. We we'll might not get there. <laughs> yeah, we might not get there. <laughs> you know, one thing I do know. What? We will put an episode out. We will. We have to. It might be a broken episode with like cracks through it. but It might be. <laughs> we'll throw some duct tape on it. With baby crying in the background. Baby crying. There's a dog barking like three times in this uh, outro here. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. It's fun though. Uh, keep messaging us on Instagram, Crying Salad Podcast. Make sure you follow us there. Give us a five-star review, four-star review. Don't give us a three or a two or a one. Those just yeah, suck. We don't want those. No, I'm just kidding. Do whatever you want. But if you say something really stupid, I might just repost it on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, why not? But it, people might want that, though. Maybe. But uh, it's good content, honestly. <laughs> We've been getting some really interesting ones. Also, speaking of reviews, like, uh, you do this podcast, like, you want me involved, right? I actually do want you involved. Right. So it's kind of funny because uh, the the review that we got... Um, said, why don't you just let Ashley do her thing? And also said I should hang out with my guy friends and like get out of my <laughs> wife's business. So I don't know. Maybe I should do that. If any friends are listening, I'm I'm up for grabs. Like I'm free. I'm free from Ashley. <laughs> I can go do something. No, you, I, it's actually the other way around. I'm actually forcing him to do this with me. Mind you, all the dogs barking in the background right now, we normally have to like stop. And like redo a take during the actual podcast. But honestly, like we don't have enough time. This like, is like behind the scenes right our now. Our baby's sleeping and we have like five minutes. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll see you next time. We don't know where we'll be, what it will sound like, but we will definitely see you. Well, actually, no, you'll hear us. Yeah, you'll hear us. We won't see you. You won't see us either. All right. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.
On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.